0: the world was lacking deep conversation that really connected people. And I'm on social media, most of us are on social media. But it's one of the things that I find disturbing, honestly, about social media is I don't find that to be genuine connection. It's Mm. highlight reels, it's creating compare and despair. It's giving people a sense of shame. And I wanted people to be brave and talk about what they're really going through so that people would feel less alone. Welcome to The True Fiction Project, a podcast series that explores the origins of fiction. Every week, we begin with an interview, nonfiction, followed by a creative piece, fiction, inspired by something from the interview. The idea is to demonstrate, of course, that fiction is born out of our life experiences. Now, here's your host, storyteller, author, public speaker, health and wellness expert, Renita Hora.
1: Welcome back to the True Fiction Project. I am your host, Renita Hora. And my passion is definitely amongst other things, bad assery. I love that word, term, concept, attitude to life. And I think for regular listeners of this podcast, you know that already. So I am thrilled to introduce my guest for today. She is Nicole Christie. Nicole is a writer, a podcaster and entrepreneur. She's the founder and CEO of Tula Productions, which is a storytelling studio that connects leading brands and notable people with their audiences through human centered audio, visual and print stories, storytelling at large. I love it. And she's also the creator and host of Here For Me, which is a podcast about the power of choosing yourself. Now, She sent me a little bit of a backgrounder in which she says that she has been a storyteller since she could string words together, and it's her passion to bring tales of courage, impact, and utter badassery to life. So, you see, this is a clear fit. Hi, Nicole. Welcome to the True Fiction Project. Hello, Renita. Thank you so much for having me. It is so great to have you on the show, and not just because you're a badass. I mean, that's (laughs) obviously a huge part of the reason. (laughs) But I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about, let's start with your podcast, which is focused on the power of choosing yourself. What does that mean? It means essentially that the best self-care comes from the inside. You
0: know, we live in a culture where self-care is often bubble baths, massages, pedicures. I like all those things. We all like all of those things. But something I really learned through my journey, particularly the last four years of my life, which have handed me trauma after trauma after trauma to survive, is that it really is about self-awareness, self-compassion self-respect and self-integrity. And we hear, you know, kind of like metaphors of, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup or put your mask on before you put someone else's mask on. That's really what it's addressing is the importance of actually taking care of ourselves in this way that's really about honoring who we are, our boundaries, making sure that we are being treated with respect, that we are putting ourselves first. And the stories that we tell are often people who have learned that in a very hard way by life handing them a health crisis, a job loss, a divorce, a death, something that has been extremely difficult, something that perhaps could have taken their lives, taken their livelihood. And how did they learn that lesson? Man, I've been abandoning
1: myself throughout my entire life life. Mm, I can see where the tales of courage, impact and utter badassery Mm -hmm. are coming to life. Now your podcast called Here to Me, is that your main way to connect with your audiences? Because you have also founded a company called Tula Productions, a Mm -hmm. storytelling studio. What does that do? So Tula Productions,
0: I have a 20-year background in corporate communications. I had two chapters at Microsoft, uh, and I just wrapped up my second one in October of 21. And then in between that, I had my own communications consulting firm, and I continued to work for Microsoft as a consultant and a number of other Fortune 50 companies and a lot of tech companies. So what I essentially did all those years um, as a writer and a storyteller is help brands connect with their audiences through stories. And my Mm. specialization was creating an emotional connection. And my team and I that I worked with at Microsoft, this was back in 2000. So it was a long time ago when I first started there. We really saw the value of making that emotional connection and telling human-centered stories. Whereas at that time, you know, it it was more about if you wanted marketing, or you wanted press for something, you put out a press release, or you paid for advertising, we started to see the value in telling the story of people who were impacted by product. I also did a lot of work in employee communications. And so it was how are employees impacted by the benefits the company offers, the experience that they have being an employee somewhere, how does that, you know, use their purpose and passion. And so that's kind of where that started. And then it sort of flowed into here for me in terms of, you know, now we do human- storytelling that is really emotional, but it's very personal. But I still through Tula Productions, I still work with corporations and notable individuals to tell their story, whether we are creating a podcast for them. Whether someone needs to do a keynote, I also, you know, have done a lot of uh, executive speech writing, so we'll work on that. If someone is uh, putting together a video, I'm doing something like that for Microsoft right now, I will come together and, and figure out, like, what is the through line? What is the story? What is the narrative? Build the script. Coach people if they, you know, have a role in it or they're speaking. And then the other part of it is written stories. So it might be thought leadership. You know, like, it's almost like kind of ghostwriting that I'll do for an executive or notable person who needs to get their story out there in a print format, essentially. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's you know they've got a they've got a formal blog. So yeah, there's kind of this Tula's. Um, and here for me is produced by Tula, so it's under the Tula umbrella as well. But Tula Productions is really how do we connect you with your audience, um, whether you're a corporation or a person through storytelling. In essentially, it's a multimedia
1: storytelling
0: company. Yeah
1: human-centered stories so important because I totally agree with you. So often companies, especially large ones, even the smaller ones perhaps, just lose sight of the humans mm-hmm. that actually drive the companies, the products, yeah. etc. We're so product-focused. So it makes complete sense to be able to build a story around the humans that bring that product to life, how it impacts them, so forth. But give us an example of what this kind of storytelling would look like for a notable person.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's typically someone who is wanting to share their personal story through creating a podcast or they're doing a keynote presentation and they need to be coached on how to tell it. Sometimes it's coaching people who are, like what I'm doing for you right now, who are going on podcasts. How do they tell their personal story in a way that is resonant with people? Because it's not an easy skill set. People tend to think, you know this, you turn on the mic and you just sit down and start talking. But there's a lot of thought that goes into it. So what I will do with someone is sit down and say, okay, I get to know you. I get to know what your story is. I'm going to use the example of someone sitting down like what I'm doing with you to do a podcast, understand their story and then go, okay, these are the topics that you're going to talk about. And then distilling that down into key messages. It's almost like bullet points. These are the top five things that you speak to. And it gives people... I think they just feel a sense of I have some control over my story, I know the things I'm going to talk about. It's resonant of the work that I would do with executives when I'm briefing them to go in front of the press. It's the same kind of thing, except you can do that around your personal storytelling. So that's one example of if someone is, you know, going on a podcast to tell their story and and talk about what they've been through. And then I can use that with individuals as well. It's like the same thing would be if you're giving a keynote, you're speaking to, you know, let's say a charitable organization or at a conference, the same exact thing. Let's sit down, understand your story. What are the most resonant points that can be universalized that everyone can understand and see themselves in? That's a really important part of telling your personal story. And then we do that for if they're going on stage. So those are kind of the ways that it comes to life for individuals in a way that's kind of borrowed from the corporate, but very specific and personalized to someone who's telling their personal story. Mm.
1: Now, Nicole, here is a very basic question, and you've been talking about this, some of this, but I have to ask, why is storytelling so important?
0: Storytelling, in my opinion, is important because it is what lights up the threads of continuity between humans. Mm -hmm. And I think the more that we tell stories that are raw, candid, and vulnerable, the more we will genuinely connect with each other. And for me, starting here for me was my way of doing that. I was feeling like the world was lacking deep conversation that really connected people and I'm on social media, most of us are on social media, but it's one of the things that I find disturbing honestly about social media is I don't find that to be genuine connection. It's mm. highlight reels, it's creating compare and despair. It's giving people a sense of shame. And I wanted people to be brave and talk about what they're really going through so that people would feel less alone. For me, that is the mission of storytelling in the way that I do it, and I think it's the benefit of storytelling,
1: particularly personal storytelling for anyone. Lightening up the threads of continuity. I love it. That is, <laughs> I haven't heard that before. I think it's wonderful. <laughs> and you're absolutely right about social media. I mean, it uh-huh. seems like this appears to be the necessary evil of our day and age, but the absolutely. stories are disparate and, you know, dare I say, not, you know, what meets the eye is not what lies underneath absolutely. a lot of the time. So, you know, the premise of this show is to explore a story your own personal story that would translate well to fiction and i know that you have a particular story in mind and so i would love to delve into that now to ask what that is what's the story you're going to bring to this episode
0: yeah i mean it's a little bit of a turn because a lot of the storytelling that i'm doing right now on here for me and, and and talking with other podcasters like yourself is really telling a story about my health journey and uh, you know, abusive marriage that I ended last year and how that has brought me to this place in life and been sort of an awakening. The story that we're gonna talk about is actually um, different. So I, uh, in addition to uh, the corporate work I do and the podcast I have, I have a background in improv and mm-hmm. I lived in New York for a little over four years, 2004 to 2009. And studied and performed improv uh, in the city, and also did a lot of comedy writing. And so it kind of is like born of that part of my journey. And actually, it was a story that happened while I was living in New York City. So it's no shock to anyone that dating in New York is a completely <laughs> bizarre experience. And uh, and and I, you know, hadn't dated. I moved there when I was 33. I hadn't dated since I was 18. And so to kind of be thrown into the dating pool in New York of with someone who had virtually no experience, it felt like I was like, Mm -hmm. uh, Oh, my God, I was in a relationship for 15 years. And now I'm learning this. So the story is really about a man that I met in my building that I lived in in Manhattan. And I met him in the elevator. He lived two floors below me. And I don't know how much detail you want me to go into here, Renita, because I
1: could just tell the whole story, but... Well, I would love to know what particularly intrigued you about this man and this particular story. Of course, we are getting that you've probably come out of a bad marriage at this Mm -hmm. point and... Various other details that we're not privy to, but let's just say not so happy life before or happy uh, times. No, I mean that was actually no? that was actually not the
0: case. Yeah, no, th- that my marriage that I got out of last year was bad. This was a great relationship that, uh. which was part of why this was shocking to me. So, yeah, I'd been in a fifteen year relationship. My college boyfriend was my best friend. We were married for seven and a half years of those fifteen years together, and and just grew apart. And uh-huh. part of what I wanted to do is really go to New York. I'd always felt called to d- to go there and have this chapter there, but. But dating was, I didn't know what I was doing. And I had come from this, you know, wonderful human with such integrity. And so suddenly I'm in Manhattan and it's <laughs> blowing my mind what I'm running into there. I really had kind of taken myself off of the market for about a year. And yeah, I, I met this man in, my, in the elevator of my building and was like, well, he's sort of cute. And I lived on the eighth floor and he lived on the sixth floor. So the elevator stops at his floor and he gets out and goes to the left. And I was like, well, I know there's, uh, you know, only a few apartments on that side because I live on the other side where most of the apartments were. And Ooh. I really wanted to meet him. He just seemed very, he just had a way about him. He was kind, he seemed gentle. Uh, he was a little bit shy. You know, we were just sort of like eyeing each other and making a joke about a sign that our management had put into the elevator. We're like, what is this? You know, so we had this kind of this little spark and this little connection. And uh, I was just very interested. I have to say, though, so
1: not to interject, sir. Yeah, but that's a lot of communication for one elevator ride.
0: <laughs> it was about like, you know, how long was that? Right. Like From floor zero to six. Yeah. It was like, that wow. Okay. Yeah. You guys yeah. stuck in the elevator together or? <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. That was just the ride from the first floor to the sixth floor. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I- yeah. So I was curious about him, obviously. And I thought, well, how am I going to Meet this guy. Like I'm so intrigued by him, and there's I feel some draw, I feel some pull to him, and that's kind of some. That's kind of a way I am in the world. I can spot, you know, my soul tribe pretty easily, uh, or just someone I'm going to connect with. And so it was like a day or two later, I got a notification from our front desk, uh, like the concierge in our building, saying you have a package. So I went downstairs to get the package, and when the concierge went back into the package room, I noticed that he had a clipboard on the desk. And it was a list of all the residents and what their names (laughs) were where they lived. So I made sure that he wasn't coming back out. And I reached over and I grabbed it. And I knew those four apartments were like A through D, (laughs) sixth floor. So I got this guy's name. And I knew where he lived. I was like, Okay, I know what apartment he lives in. Great. And then I was part of some of my neighbors and I were putting together sort of a tenants committee to basically write the building because it was a brand new building a lot of the upper floors weren't even finished yet it was a building on wall street that was being renovated 100 year old building and they were charging us for like a gym we didn't have and a roof deck we didn't have so we were getting ready to write a letter to management saying we need some sort of you know credit until this stuff is done none of these things are done you're charging us all this rent so i have this guy's name now i'm gonna admit something i google him (laughs) and i find out that he is an attorney. Mm. And I was like, okay, excuse. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I have a great excuse now. So I go down to the sixth floor one evening, and I knock on his door and I pretend that I'm canvassing for signatures on this letter, like the more people we can get in the building to say, hey, you know, the more likely maybe we will actually convince management to give us this credit. And so you know, he's chatting with me and I didn't I don't think we he recognized did and say anything about like hey we saw each other in the elevator it's just like my name's Nicole and I live up in the eighth floor and the name some of the neighbors and I are doing this and we're just trying to get many people to sign and so he says well you know I'm actually an attorney I'm like really <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know surprise surprise I, I didn't know that and so we end up talking and <laughs> I'll just admit you know in my google search I knew some other things about him I knew that both of us were from Washington um state and you know And he'd gone to my rival university. And so I'm like, as quickly as I can, I have to get all of that out of him. I'm like, (laughs) I got to ask him where he's from, where he moved from, did he go to college? And so all that, you know, it wasn't a lot. It was probably four facts about him. And I got all that out pretty quickly. But anyhow, so uh, we start dating. Because, you know, he's now leaning against the door jam and engaged. And so I said, well, mm-hmm. you know, I can email the letter to you. Do you have your contact info? And he gives me his business card. Yeah, right. You know, just email it to me. Happy to review it. Happy to sign it. Happy to be part of this. And so I just say, hey, and also, you know, you're kind of new to the city. I, I've been here a couple of years, but I'm new to the building. Like if you ever want to have like coffee or something. And he's like, I would love that. <laughs> so we end up going out on our first date for happy hour, you know, maybe like a week later. And he says to me something about, you know, the courtyard that my apartment looks out on. And I thought, well, my apartment looks out on a courtyard. What shape is this building? I'm a very spatially inept person. I I just, you know, I don't understand how layout or geometry or just blueprints, nothing. I don't get it. So I was very confused. I thought, how do we both look out? What shape is the building? And so I didn't say anything to him, but when we got back to the building after the date, he obviously gets out at the sixth floor and says, hey, that's great. Let's do it again. Love to see you. Great. I go to the eighth floor, go into my apartment, drop my bag, walk to the window, and I can see him in his apartment.
1: Mm, the rear window moment
0: <laughs> The rear in. window came <laughs> to life. It was life. actually coming to life and um and i thought so, oh my god like the google right. stalking sort of person that i am that knew his name and where he lived <laughs> where he lived before wh- that he was from watching i thought this is the worst thing for a this person is, like me
1: yes indeed <laughs> indeed I, this is what How we I'm, call true research and analysis uh, <laughs> leading yeah, up I, to storytelling uh-huh. in that rear window moment. Well, Absolutely. this is great because I think, you don't tell us the whole what happens. Yeah, well, because okay. we definitely yes. <laughs> yeah, but that's the premise of it is I
0: could see into his apartment and uh, what unfolded after that is, uh, is quite interesting.
1: <laughs> Badassery. It comes right back to that definition. <laughs> <laughs> or that's, I like your spin on it. That's a
0: good way to reframe that narrative. I can be a little bit more self-critical about how unhinged uh, I may or may
1: not be. <laughs> there you go. Well, Nicole, this is wonderful. I cannot wait to listen to the story and see what comes out of this. Is there anything else that our listeners should know that I haven't asked you that you would like to say? Just that, you know, if if people enjoy
0: badassery and hearing stories about people who have been through, uh, you know, experiences that have, force them to really reach in and grab their inner badass and and channel it into choosing themselves. You know, my podcast here for me, that's what we do. We tell those stories about people that have survived. And I feel like every person in the world is fighting a hard battle, you know, that infamous quote. So this kind of storytelling is how I am hoping to facilitate healing for people. So if that's something that people are interested in, Here for Me is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if anybody needs some coaching on storytelling, whether they're a corporation or they work for a corporation or individually, Tula Productions, I can go to my website, nicolechristie.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-E. And I'm happy to partner with people.
1: Nicole, wonderful to have you on the True Fiction Project. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, it has been my honor. Nicole Christie, everyone. She is the founder and CEO of Tula Productions, a storytelling studio, and it's her passion to bring tales of courage, impact, and utter badassery to life. Everybody, this is The True Fiction Project, and I am your host, Renita Hora. And now to the premise of The True Fiction Project, which of course is to create fiction out of non-fiction.
0: One April afternoon in 2007, I strolled into the lobby of my Manhattan apartment building, spotted the elevator waiting, its doors ajar, and quickened my pace. Have a good evening, Carlos, I said to the doorman as I stepped into the elevator. As the doors were closing, someone dashed in and muttered a quick thanks without a glance at me. But I was taking note of him. About mid-30s, dark blonde curls, bold-framed rectangular glasses, casual but stylish, in jeans, a navy hoodie, and very cool Nikes. Presumably feeling the heat of my gaze, he met my eyes, smiled, blushed, and looked away. His eyes landed on a memo taped to the wall, a response to an erroneous letter the residents had received from Con Ed, stating our landlord hadn't paid the electric bill, and service would soon be disconnected. (laughs) He chuckled and pointed at it. You got that too? I asked. He smiled shyly and nodded. Talk about a false alarm freakout, I said. (laughs) He laughed as the elevator came to a stop and wished me a good night. I waved and noted our destination, 6th floor, and watched him turn left. The universe had offered me a mission, and I chose to accept it. A few days later, I canvassed the left side of the 6th floor on a legitimate mission, forming a tenants' committee. A couple neighbors and I were annoyed that our brand new building was charging for amenities that weren't available and were writing a letter requesting reduced rent. Thankfully, there were only four apartments on that side of the floor. I knocked on the first three doors, but no one answered. The odds were low that the last apartment was his, but I knocked, and he opened the door. Hi, I chirped, flashing a smile and trying to will my heart out of my throat. Hi, he grinned. Instant recognition. Uh, my name's Nicole, and I live on the eighth floor, and some of us are writing a letter to management asking for a break on rent until the amenities are open. Ah, an abatement, he nodded. Great idea. An abatement, yes, I said, impressed with the formal terminology. So I'm campaigning to ask residents to sign the letter, just hoping the more the merrier, or at least the more effective. Sure, I'd be happy to sign it, he said, leaning against the door jamb and looking extremely cute. I'm an attorney, so if you also want me to review it from a legal perspective, I'd be happy to do that too. Oh, that would be awesome, I said. I'm a writer, so I'm on point to draft it, but we could absolutely use a pair of expert legal eyes on it. Now he was the one regarding me, and my eyeballs were darting all over the place. I finally forced them to meet his. I can send it to you if you give me your email address, I said. Sure, he smiled as I jotted it down. We exchanged a few more pleasantries and I learned he'd just moved from San Francisco, that we were both from Washington State and had gone to rival universities. Well, welcome to the building, welcome to New York, and apparently I'm not just the tenants committee rep, I'm also the welcome wagon, I teased. I appreciate that, he said, blushing. So I'll keep an eye out for your email. Yes, my email, yes, I rambled, willing myself to ask him out. And hey, if you ever want to grab coffee or a drink, let me know. Part of the welcome wagon service and all. That would be great, he grinned. Send me some times that work for you and we'll make it happen. I will, I promised, giving him a little wave as he closed the door. Talk to you soon. Two days later, I sent him the letter to review, along with some times I was free to meet. We made a plan for drinks that Saturday and met in our lobby to head over together. Is it weird that we're departing from and returning to the same place, he joked. It's totally weird, but welcome to New York where nothing is normal, I replied. Two hours in, we were exchanging stories about growing up in different parts of Washington, trash-talking each other's schools, and discussing the pros and cons of our neighborhood and building. I don't understand how the building is laid out, he said. Like, I look onto this courtyard, but I can't figure out how to get to it. I froze mid-sip of sans air. My apartment had the same view. You look at a courtyard? Yeah, he mused. An hour later, we headed back to the building. We said goodnight to Carlos, who was very amused by what was transpiring, and got into the elevator. Well, well, we meet again, he smiled. We do indeed, I blushed as the elevator stopped on the sixth floor. Let's do this again, please, he said as he stepped out. Soon. I smiled, nodded, and we wished each other goodnight as the doors closed. Back in my apartment, I thought about the courtyard. Was it possible we had the same view? that I could see his apartment from mine? I went to the window, and there, across the courtyard, he was flipping on the TV and flopping onto the sofa. From that point on, I did everything I could not to look. I kept the blinds closed, but would peek through the slats. I repeated affirmations every time the urge arose. I cannot control others. I can only control myself. But would rationalize my curiosity as harmless guilty pleasure. It was also comforting. My rear window reality proved he was a pretty respectable dude. When he wasn't with me, it seemed he pretty much went to work, came home, ate dinner in the company of CNN, and went to bed. Months passed and our relationship deepened into Sunday brunches and walks along the Hudson, cheering at Yankees games, and evenings cuddled on my sofa with pizza and Netflix. He even took care of my goldfish Arthur while I was out of town. Thankfully, he was never curious about the view beyond my drawn blinds, and as far as I knew, he never caught me spying. But nearly six months in, he started blowing off plans, citing he was busy at work. Yet there he'd sit on the sofa, night after night. I passed it off as mental exhaustion rather than lack of interest. Then one evening, I saw the glow of his laptop screen on the coffee table before him. I seized the opportunity and sent an email asking if he was free for dinner. He replied within minutes. I'm working in L.A. Hope all is well. What? I bellowed. Why was he lying to me? What if I saw him in the elevator? How would he explain that? Was he insane? Was I insane? Had I imagined this whole relationship, this man who'd overfed my goldfish because he was concerned Arthur wasn't eating enough, who'd placed his hand on my cheek and pleaded, no, when I told him I'd been toying with the idea of leaving New York? Since email was generating nothing more than excuses, I tried a more formal, somewhat creepy approach. I wrote a letter and left it with Carlos. I wrote that I'd seen him entering the building the night he'd claimed to be in LA. It was a risky lie, but it was a weekday, so he'd likely gone to work and back home. I told him I was confused about the sudden vibe shift and asked if we could talk, saying I'd rather have a difficult conversation than him make up stories about his whereabouts. The next day, Carlos called and said there was a letter for me at the front desk. It was my letter, with a few words scribbled on the open envelope. I partially read your letter and was disturbed by its contents. Good luck and goodbye. He'd partially read the letter and was disturbed? How could he be disturbed by his own actions? Or had I been caught in my own lie, or holy hell, the spying? I didn't love this ending, but I accepted it. I also braced myself for an awkward elevator run-in. But while I managed to avoid any encounters, I still had the view. I knew I needed to stop peeking. But as a wise friend said, sometimes part of letting go is hanging on. One chilly February morning, I saw him traipsing around his empty apartment, trash bag in hand. He was moving out. I watched as he tossed the last scraps of his life across the courtyard into the bag, took a final glance around, turned off the lights, and exited the apartment. And then, for the last time, the door closed.
1: I wanted to share with listeners that season two of Shadow Realm, my YA fantasy fiction narrative podcast is out. Episodes are being released now. So do look for it on any podcast platform that you tune in to listen to your favorite audio. This is The True Fiction Project, and I am your host, Renita Hora. Here at The True Fiction Project, we are always looking for great stories, that make for compelling fiction. So, if you have a great story or know somebody who does, or if you are a writer who would like to contribute, then please do get in touch with us at renita.com forward slash contact. Thank you for listening to The True Fiction
0: Project with Renita Hora. Be sure to subscribe to the newsletter to receive more inspiring stories showing how fiction is born from our everyday experiences. For more information, visit www.truefictionproject.com.